Uh, I remember one time when I was as youth pastor, I was speaking at a youth revival, and I got to the end, and I gave an altar call. Now, if you, if you were not raised in church, when I say altar call, you say, what? What in the world's an altar call? Like, did people just start going, altar, altar, altar? No. No, that, it's, more like, it's more like a people call to the altar, right? So it's at the end of the message, and you, you, give a, you challenge people, and then they respond. And so I got to the end of this. I preached a really hard message, and I gave the altar call, and everybody stood up. Everybody, 100% of a packed, crowded room. And my response was, sit down. I'm going to explain it again, right? Like, I don't think you really understood what I was calling you to when you responded. So take a seat. Let's talk through this again. I want to make sure you understand the cost behind what I'm saying, and then I'll give the altar call again. And then they all stood up again. And by then I was obviously going to, wasn't going to make up sit down again. We just went ahead and prayed. I think sometimes we, we want to make sure that we understand the cost of what we've been called to do. This, this segment of Scripture we're going to be in today in Luke 14. The last 11 verses of Luke 14, Jesus is doing that. He's explaining to his disciples, like, this is the cost. This is what it's going to cost you to follow me. So what we're going to start seeing here as we, as we get moved from this chapter into the next chapter is two things are growing at the same time with Jesus, right? His popularity with people and the tension between him and the religious leaders, so the more popular he gets with people, the more the leaders kind of hate him, right? And this is kind of growing. Isn't that the way it normally is? Like, have you ever noticed, when you go all in on some goal, you divide your world into half. People that are cheering for you and haters. Have you noticed this? Like, let's just say, nobody would hear, here would do this, but you, be, you decide to start a diet in January, Right? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the gym. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to start a diet. Isn't it the way it goes? You start the diet, and you've got, you've got people in your life who will tell you that you're an idiot to do a diet while they're eating, like, a bear claw. Right? Oh, really? You're on a diet? Ain't going to work. Well, yeah, not if you keep doing that. Right? If you start to budget as a family. That's the month that everyone will ask you out to eat. Everybody. Even the people that know you're on it, you'll be like, I, I really, I'm on a budget. Oh, it's okay. Come on. Let's go. Fine. That's the way it always works. You go all in on something and you immediately get attacked. You get challenged. And here in this passage, Jesus is going to challenge the people that are following him. And here's why. One simple reason. Discipleship. Here's your big idea. Counting the cost helps us pay the price. Counting the cost helps us pay the price. And in, in this passage, Jesus is going to point out three very specific things that can challenge our commitment to follow him. All right? Counting the cost, which is what we're going to do. Jesus is going to help people that are following him to count the cost. If we count the cost, it will help us pay the price. Luke 14 25 through 35. Let's start with the first two verses. The first challenge that we see. Verse 25 says this. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, the crowd, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. I know how your minds work, and so what you're thinking right now is if you had a fight with your family on the way to church, you're like, oh, dude, I hate them. I'm all in on this Jesus thing. I hate my family, right? I mean, I get it. That's not, he's not talking about hate like I really literally hate you. This is a priority word. Like I choose Jesus over you, okay? So he's saying if you can't choose me over your family, you're not worthy to be my disciple. But who is he saying this to? He's saying this to the crowd. That's the first thing that will challenge your commitment. Don't let the crowd change your commitment. Now, we in the church tend to think of crowds in one of two ways, right? If you are a part of a big church, big crowd, then you see crowds as a good thing. And all the people that are part of a small church, they look at big churches and say, well, if, if they wouldn't water down the gospel, nobody would go there, right? And the small churches say, well, we really love Jesus. We don't need smoke and mirrors and lights and all that stuff because we just love Jesus. We see small and large as like enemies of each other. Jesus had no problem with crowds. He understood that crowds were dynamic, that crowds could come and they could go. He just wanted to make sure that as crowds came and went, that followers of Jesus, of his, his followers, their commitment didn't come and go. Like, I want you to be all in, whether the crowd is big or small. And this is important to understand crowd dynamics. You and I have all done things in a crowd that we would not have done alone. The monkey dance comes to mind this morning, Right? And even some of you still didn't do it. We need to exert some positive peer pressure. I was, starting, I was thinking, like, some of the best and worst decisions I've ever made in my life were made with a crowd. We do some really good things in crowds. This summer I spent most um, Friday nights sweating, which isn't unusual for me. I can do that anytime. But sweating as we walked around the city handing out popsicles and praying for people. I can be totally honest with you and tell you that alone, I probably would not hand out popsicles and prayers because I would look like a freak, right? But in a group, you're walking around with 15, 20 people, and you're all handing out popsicles and prayer. It just there's power in that. I don't know if you saw the news or not, but um, there was a man killed because a group of teenagers threw a rock, a bunch of rocks, over an over the overpass onto the interstate below them. And one of the rocks killed the passenger of a car, and then the teenagers went and ate at McDonald's. I don't think they knew that he was dead when they ate at McDonald's, but it's just, I can guarantee you this, not one of those teenagers would by him or herself go on that overpass and throw a rock over. But because a crowd went, they went. Crowds have influence over us, positive or negative. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying, look, it's easy to follow me right now because there's a big crowd, right? But if you don't love me more than everything else, you cannot be my disciple. He warned the crowd about just following him only because the crowd would. Here's a, just a few scripture verses to jot down, some warnings. Exodus 23.2 says, Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I love that verse. 
I love it for a lot of reasons, but one reason I love it is because I was in a group setting when we called on somebody to read that verse, and they read it like this. Do not be mizzled. And we all went. You mean misled? Oh, I, I thought it was mizzled. Okay. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, if you want to take your brand new, sold out, let me talk to the teenagers that went to youth convention, right? You want to take your brand new, sold out, passion-filled commitment to Jesus and just flush it down the toilet, just hang out with people who don't have that passion. It's easy to do. But if you hang out with people who do have that passion, then it's like gas on that fire, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. Listen, peer pressure is real, negatively and positively. So I would tell you, hang around with people who have the same convictions you do and watch your convictions grow even stronger. As disciples of Jesus, we've got to get to the place where we can say with Joshua, the words that he said in Joshua 24, 15, listen, he was talking to a crowd, and here's what he said to the whole crowd, choose for yourselves who you want to serve. But for me and my family, no, we're serving Jesus. You do what you want, but I'm going that way. That's where you have to get to. Don't let the crowd change your commitment. Here's the second one. He continues talking, and he says this to those that were following him. Suppose, in verse 28, one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you are here this morning and you don't get anything else out of this message, that's about budgeting. That would be a good thing for you to highlight, right? At least stop and think, can I afford this Christmas that I'm going to buy now? Do I have enough money to complete the project? Can you imagine the testimony that we would have negatively in the city if that project sat incomplete for decades because we failed to plan before we started. Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to build something, estimate the cost and see if you have enough to complete it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. And they'll say this, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Man, I'm not even preaching about this this morning, but be a finisher. Finish the book you started. Finish the job that you started. Now, right now, Wendy's thinking, Paul, listen to what you're saying. But I never start them, so I don't have to finish them, right? <laughs> Be a finisher. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Listen, we don't want the crowd to change our commitment. You don't want the cross to change your commitment. One of the things that I love about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus is not a bait and switch guy. Have you ever been baited and switched? Black Friday comes to mind, doesn't it? Like they, the whole thing about Black Friday is you can get this 60-inch TV for two bucks. We only have one, right? 
And it's like they'll have 100 people lined up to come in, 1,000 people, but only one's getting the TV. They never tell you that. They just tell you they've got, we got a sale, but there's only one. But they get you in the store so that you will then spend more money. Baiting and switching. Churches do it all the time. Jesus was not that kind of a guy. Jesus was the person who on the front end said, "Uh, listen, can we have a conversation? If you're going to follow me, you're going to die. Who's in? It's crazy. It's crazy. We we laugh about it, right? But listen, let's just check the reality, right? Jesus said that, and how many followers did he actually end up with? Twelve. Eleven. And even one of the most committed denied him. This is a hard call, guys. Jesus is being very real. He's saying, I want you to follow me with your eyes wide open. If you are going to come after me, take up your cross and follow me. The cross in that day, it was common practice for those that were going to be crucified to carry their own cross to the place of crucifixion. And by carrying the cross publicly, what they were saying was, the accusation against me is true. What they say about me is true. And when you carry your cross, you're actually validating what Jesus has said about us. It's common practice to carry your own cross. There's no way around this. Jesus was calling his disciples to the cross to die. And he could do that because he knew that death was part of his mission. That's why he came here. And he was like, look, you can follow me all you want, but just know that where I'm headed is to the cross. And so if you're going to be my disciple, pick yours up too because we're headed there together. Don't let the cross change your commitment. It was the salvation of souls that fueled Jesus to and through the cross. Listen to this from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We're encouraged, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Listen, we romanticize the cross. We wear necklaces about the cross. We have T-shirts and bumper stickers. Jesus did not even like the cross. He endured the cross. Because he knew on the other side of the cross, that was where you were. He was coming for you. He wanted to rescue you. And he endured the cross for that. We've got to somehow learn to look past the pain to see the gain in our lives. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, it's kind of a weird verse. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. When I read that verse, I know this is crazy, but I always think of doing bad chores. I'm just, no, let me rephrase. I always think of doing chores badly. Like um, husbands in the house, when you were first asked to clean the bathroom. It only happened once, am I right? Because you did it so poorly. It was like, uh, never again. I mean, like, look, I don't, cleaning the toilet does not happen like this. You got to get in there. Scrub the bottom, too. Come on, man. Don't get those sissy brushes. Use your hand. <laughs> and that's why I don't clean bathrooms. Thank you, everybody. It's almost like Jesus is saying this. Like, if you're going to put your hand to the plow, you got you to plow a straight line. And if you're going to put your hand to the plow and then look back, 
uh, you're going to be all over the place. And what Jesus is saying is, I don't need that. I mean, I don't want to be a jerk this morning as your pastor, but can I tell you the truth? He doesn't need that. He doesn't need your um, bad effort. He needs your best. No pressure, right? There's no pressure. He's just saying, like, what I'm calling you to commit to is worth way more than that. I'm walking to the cross in a straight line. You want to follow me? Walk it with me. But don't put your hand to the plow and then get distracted. When you look back, go, man, how am I supposed to plant there? You know what Jesus is saying? This is hard for us to wrap our brains around because everybody gets a medal in our country. I get it, right? He's saying being distracted is worse than ever even starting in the first place. Like I would rather you not even start than to start and then be distracted as you go. He's saying be all in. Knowing it will cost everything does not make it easier, right? Even Jesus, I told you earlier, asked if there's another way, please let me have it. Counting the cost will not make it easier, but it will make it easier to pay the price because we'll understand the value of what we're paying for. Here's the last one, Luke 14, the last two verses. Jesus said this. Salt is good. Can I get an amen? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. I've never thought about salting poop, but apparently not a good thing. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus wraps this little teaching up by talking about salt. And it kind of can make us scratch our heads like, you know, what's the deal with the salt? I don't quite understand it. And if you were to Google, because I did, if you were to Google, how does salt lose its saltiness? Here's what you would find. It can't. But that's because current believers, current scientists are judging Jesus' statement based on, like, table salt, right? But that's not what his listeners would have heard. When his listeners heard him talk about salt and losing its saltiness, they would have immediately thought of the Dead Sea because they would go and get salt from the Dead That's where they would get it, and they could, you'd get salt from the Dead Sea, and if you tasted that salt, there was no flavor in it because it was so diluted by all the other chemicals in the Dead Sea. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, you can't let things around you dilute your commitment to me. Don't let culture change your commitment. The presence of other chemicals would erase the flavor of the salt. It would dilute the effectiveness of the salt. And listen, part of our calling is to be salt, to add flavor to the things all around us. Let me give you a couple verses, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul wrote this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Peter writes this, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I'm holy. What Peter's saying is, man, just let your past be in the past. Don't conform back to it. Just let it be in the past. He's called you to something better than that. And be transformed to the image of Jesus. 
Either we're salt that flavors or we're salt that doesn't. And Jesus is clear which of those has value. Too often we allow the culture around us to change our commitment to the, to the lost. But Jesus is clear that we are to be steadfast no matter what the culture does around us. Think of it like this. We're called to be salt even when everybody else is salty. I, I saw over all my years in youth ministry how friends would come to youth group with kids in our youth group, and the friends that they brought would actually have more influence over the kids in our youth group than our youth group would have over the friends that they brought. You've got you've to not allow culture to change your commitment. Now, I know that's a hard word, and um, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around it. So, so what I've got this morning is I've got a little visual illustration, and I have to thank my wife for this because she's, Wendy sent this to me and said, I think you'll just love this, and she was right. I absolutely loved it. I'm sure that you've probably seen it by now, but I thought it would be good to show you this little video clip, just an example, just an example of what can happen when you refuse to allow things around you to affect the way that you are. Just go ahead and check this out. Oh, she dances just like me. I love her. Listen, that girl was going to dance no matter what anybody else around her was doing. Am I right? She was committed to the cause, no doubt about it. Changing the culture starts with not allowing the culture to change us. Now, I, you know, I, was, I watched that video and I thought, man, it would be perfect if by the end of that song all the kids were dancing like her. Wouldn't that have been awesome? But that's not always realistic, is it? Sometimes I think we, we kind of try to convince you as pastors, like, if you'll take a stand for Jesus, everybody else will too. But sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you just need to take a stand for Jesus regardless. And that's what I love about that video is she was going to dance like that all the time. Even if that dude next to her was like, what are you doing? She didn't care. She didn't care. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. Don't let the culture change your commitment, we're called to follow Jesus like that girl. This morning, I want to call you, as Jesus did, to the mission. Can I just be straight up honest with you? It will cost you everything. But, everybody say but. A gospel that costs everything is worth everything. I want to call you to that this morning. The crowds, the cross, the culture, they can cause us to want to shrink back. But those who follow Jesus will not allow those things to change their commitment to the mission. And if that's you, listen, here's how we're going to end this morning. It's going to be a little bit weird. If you're here and you're in, I mean, I'm not going to make you stand, I mean, sit back down, okay? We, I told you at the beginning, like, I gave that altar call and everybody stood up. I, I feel like I've preached clearly about the cost. It will cost you everything to follow Jesus in his mission for the lost. But if you're here this morning, for the first time or to renew your commitment and say, I'm all in on this mission, I am in no matter what the crowd, the cross, and the culture may require of me. I am all in with Jesus on this mission. I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. I'm going to ask you to take your hand, your right hand. Everybody raise your right hand. I'm going to ask you to put it on your heart. Your heart is in the middle of your chest. Those of you that were up here at the shoulder, not there. Put it down here or you're abnormally formed or whatever, okay? 
And I want to read to you, over you, I want to read the words that Paul wrote to another warrior, his name was Timothy, who was all in on the rescue mission. Okay? And as I read this to you, these are his words, God's words, over you and over your heart. Here's what Paul said. I thank God whom I serve. As my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And even if that's not who you have as family, it's all good. And I'm now persuaded, convinced that it lives in you also. That furnace of adversity, that place where you can find yourself, when the gospel actually does cost you everything, and you wonder if it is even worth everything. Timothy was there. And it did not change the way Paul saw his commitment to the mission. He said, I'm persuaded that now lives in you also. And then he wrote these words. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us afraid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed at the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to live a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. There is a price to pay for this mission, but we know it. Our eyes are wide open, and we are willing to pay it. We are the people that the writer of Hebrews talked about in chapter 10, verse 39, when he said this, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Listen, counting the cost helps us pay the price. A gospel that costs everything is worth everything. I want to pray over you this morning that God fills you with the power to dance like that girl no matter who is not dancing around you, that you would carry the cross and your testimony to the people in this city that are lost and need to be found, and it would not matter to you if anybody else goes with you or not, that you would not allow the crowd, the cross, and the culture to change your commitment to Jesus. Father, I pray right now over the gathering, I ask that you would fill this house with the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we do not deny the furnace, we don't deny the cross, we don't deny that there are things in our lives, in our culture, that want to chip away at our commitment. We recognize and we are thankful that Jesus loved us enough to open our eyes and say, look, guys, these things are going to happen. But if you let them pull you from me, then you're not worthy to be my, my disciple. And we want to, like Paul said, live lives worthy of the calling. So we are committed this morning, recommitting ourselves, God, that we will fan into flame the gift that is in us through the grace of the Holy Spirit 
in us. We will fan into flame that gift, and we will carry this message. We will fulfill the mission. No matter what people around us do, in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.